0: UK Motor Talk. Well hello everyone and welcome back to another UK Motor Talk podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Good evening,
1: good day, good morning.
2: I'm Graham. Hello. Welcome back. And I'm David, you lucky people.
1: How are you? Enjoying the sunshine a bit more this week, so the uh, the weather's certainly perked up
0: a bit for us, hasn't it? it certainly has. It's been lovely, if you've got air conditioning. Oh, oh, it is absolutely beautiful. So, if you're listening back to us at some point in the future, this is that, uh, that week where it was 25, 26 degrees and then rained for the next 40 days and nights. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just guessing at this point, but let's face it, it kind of happens. Uh, I will start with an apology, because I'm sat next to an open window, which will make Andrew very upset, I'm sure, because... It sounds like the opening to Quadrophenia, which is kind of where I am, actually, down on the beach. So if you get the birds and everything else singing, just enjoy the background music. And if a bird suddenly stops singing halfway through, it's because Andrew's deleted part of what I've just said.
1: Regular listeners will know I'd booked a Caterham test drive that I was very much looking forward to, but that got scuppered by the weather. But luckily this morning turned out to be... uh, well, pretty much the perfect date for it, to be honest. So, uh, no, I took a little trip up to Caterham, Gatwick, um, only about forty, forty-five minutes up on the road, and uh, and had a little jaunt out in uh, in a wide body, an SV. Although it, you know, it's, it's hardly super duper wide. You can certainly easily reach the other side of the car from the driver's seat. Um, it was particularly the pedal box where I struggled to. Uh, not press two pedals at the same time in the standard chassis so the wider chassis made that much easier but what a, a lovely day out for it and, and what a car if if you're listening and you haven't been out in uh, or had the opportunity to drive something like a Caterham 7 and you're uh, considering something for a, a weekend toy, a track day toy and as as we loom ever closer to the internal combustion engine Ban of uh, of twenty thirty or whatever date the government chooses to uh, to make it. It's uh, it's it's something that I think everybody needs to experience. Or if you can, by any means necessary, buy one. It was uh, you know all the all the cliches and all the bits and pieces that you've read in the reviews uh, are absolutely true. Just the the connection to the road and that open car, that direct steering, and and the fact that the exhaust about a foot away from your head and it pops and bangs. And uh, not artificially and all the engine noise and the diff noise and the gearbox noise is piped directly into the cabin by virtue of the fact there's no sound deadening rather than through a stereo or anything like that because it hasn't got one. It just made the experience all the uh, all the more better but no it was a cracking day out and it's, it's more than crystallised my opinion I need to buy one as soon as I physically can but I just need to save up a few more pennies first I think. So those those interested in uh, in signing up to our Patreon that we haven't launched yet, then we'll uh, we'll hurry up and launch one, and uh, and you can donate,
0: please. Yeah, and you can all have a ride in Jim's car.
3: Just yes. just a question I will ask Jim, uh, because uh, in driving around over the last week or so, I think I've seen three cadrums. Are you of the wear a helmet or not wear a helmet school? Because I've seen both.
1: Much as I am a helmet enthusiast, all people have certainly accused me of being a helmet in the past. I definitely um, think helmet by no, looking. No. <laughs> Uh, Yes, you do indeed, and in fact, when we went karting the other, the first word out of the guy's uh, the guy's mouth on reception was right helmets, which uh, seemed a bit aggressive. But uh, no, it's uh, well. There's a a couple of different ways you can do it. I mean, uh, the uh, the setup it had today was windscreen and the and the doors. Chatting to uh, to James, the sales guy over there, really nice guy by the as well. Just just thoroughly knowledgeable enthusiastic but no no hint of hard sell or pushiness anything like that you know we're certainly not on commission and uh, they've not lent us a car for a week um but just a, a nice place to go and have a chat with people uh no he was saying there's you know the the windscreen and, and the side doors is the normal setup um but actually if you want to to run without the side doors you get quite a bit of buffeting because the air hits the windscreen and then sort of you know gets detached around it and and swirls around a bit but a lot of people actually find the aero screen that you get less wind and buffeting so i think if i was doing track days i'd uh, I'd go aero screen and helmet um, just to save the windscreen more than anything so it's it's four bolts and off it goes you can put the aero screen in the boot on the way up there and uh, and off you go but i think i go windscreen and doors for uh, for most driving and aero screen and helmet for for track work
0: the aero screen just for people that don't know what is that
1: it's probably only about 2 or 3 inches tall actually it just bolts in place of the uh, of the windscreen <laughs> but just gives uh, enough of uh, an aerodynamic effect that it channels the air around it and uh, it's Because you'd look at it and think it doesn't make that much difference, actually, but when uh, when you and I went up to the Caterham Open Day on Sunday, just a few days before, actually, we, we were both fiddling around with your sunroof, weren't we, and, and having a good yes. fiddle with your flaps, and feeling how much they got disturbed at 70 miles an hour. You can see how it would have quite a, an effect, and of course, if you get a stone chip on an error screen, it's not too much of an issue, rather than a stone chip on a windscreen, but not that there All is. All
0: to the face. Or so bad.
1: Well, yes, this is true. Or the helmet. You don't want a, uh, a stone chip to the helmet, do you?
0: You definitely don't, no. Even at Lowsfield, I was, I was cycling along at about 30 miles an hour and, and got a fly or a wasp or something straight to the back of the throat. And, and at that speed, it's it is it, it's horrible. It just hits you in the back and you just... I, mean, that's, I imagine that's, that's probably quite unpleasant. About 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. when I mean, You're bumming along in your catering.
1: Oh yeah, that'd be much worse. Yeah, I think if uh, if you didn't have windscreen, <laughs> then uh, then a helmet would certainly be a must. At the very least, a um, goggles and a bandana, or something like that. But it's um, an interesting bit of news out of Caterham over the last couple of weeks that they're looking at an electric drivetrain, which is certainly good news for the future of the Mark. You do kind of think it'd be tricky to. To integrate the motors and the technology and the battery, but I suppose that the size of the battery is a limiting factor. And but yeah, I don't with think a lightweight car becomes a lightweight battery, and yeah. you need a bit less. And of course, you know, the, you don't need 300 miles range in a caterum because no. it's generally for, for weekend blats and things like that. So, but that's that's good news for the future of the company. I must admit, I was slightly worried when when electric cars started to become a thing. Would would it integrate well into into that kind of car? And I wasn't sure.
0: When you think about it, electric cars, I know they're, they're talking now about solid-state batteries and um, batteries that are into the chassis like the new baby Tesla, whatever they decide to call it, whether it's the Model A or whatever it's going to be. So if you imagine the sort of the catering shape, I guess you could probably have a pack of batteries under the front, down what is now the transmission tunnel, because that's quite high, and then have the, the, the motor in, in the boot for your rear-wheel drive. Because, as you say, they're quite light, or as you have said, they're quite light. They're quite direct, there's, not, there's no real concern about power steering, electric power steering, anything like to try and fit into the gap, is there? It is just a case of fitting a motor and a set of batteries. And one of the things that we, that we saw when we were up at Caterham for the open day was they had a, a full-size race sim, which was a car. And under the bonnet, when you popped the latches, lifted the bonnet off, there was just a, a huge computer and lots of cooling and a keyboard at the back, and it was just the whole car. But when you look at it and see the sort of space you've got underneath, I think you could probably, if you could package it right, as you say, it's a case of technology and the battery size, that could be an absolute hoot, couldn't it? I think it'd probably make it a bit heavy, or a bit heavier, certainly. But if you think about the traction you would then get if you could get the weight distribution right, I reckon that would be a riot. be a little drift machine.
1: Yeah, I think if, if you could put the, uh, the battery and the weight in the right places, that would probably be the giveaway because what would make it feel like would be the acceleration and, and being low down.
2: Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think
1: that that could work quite well. But you could hopefully get away with a slightly smaller transmission tunnel because that's what really restricts the uh, the pedal box space. I mean, I'd, I'd sat in a Caterham years and years and years ago and dismissed them because I just simply didn't fit in them. But the Series Five or the SV chassis, the wider one, is is becoming more and more and more popular. Just to give you that extra bit of room. And if you know if you've got size. 9, 10, 11 feet, size 10 as I've got, and they're quite wide, you'll you'll struggle with an S3. But uh, if you've sat in one before and dismissed it, then uh, then try an SV and see how you get on with it. I've been looking around and, and I've looked at the Westfields and the Locusts or the Robin Hoods or whatever else, you know, it's, it's one of those designs that's often imitated, but nobody seemed to quite get there in, in sort of terms of the classic look or or having just perfected it, really. But Caterham, of course, who bought the, uh, the design off, Lotus and we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the demise of the Lotus Elise and we, we were kind of hoping somebody would pick up the tooling from that but it looks like somebody has haven't they or at least Lotus have offered it.
2: Well they haven't so much offered it apparently that they've hinted at the fact that they wouldn't be averse to selling it and I think as much as anything it's because they're running out of space up in Norfolk to build the new car that's coming along the Amira and uh, I think they basically, um, they don't want to just let this go and be trashed, this stuff. I mean, they're probably going to storage somewhere. But if they can find a, a willing party who would gladly take it off their hands, and um, the rumours are, ironically, well not ironically, quite fittingly, that it could very well be Caterham that take it off their yeah. hands. As you say, they do have form. And uh, they're under new ownership since April, I believe. A Japanese company's bought them, VT. And uh, so they could be looking for something new to uh, invigorate their lineup. And if you're going to get a cast off, that's a pretty good one to have. It's widely regarded as being one of the best handling small mid-engine cars of its generation. And uh, I, I would quite happily say, yeah, fine for the right price. I'm, I'm sure they would find very many willing buyers for the thing. And they could even potentially, if they're willing to put the thing through the crash testing and all sorts, they could even get back into the States with it. It was very popular over in the US and they've mourned its passing over the last few years. They didn't get the Evora, well they did, but it's it's long since gone, the Elise and, um, and the Exige, they all, um, they sort of burned brightly over there and then disappeared. And I know the Americans are very keen to see them back, so this could very well be the resurrection of that. And going forward, who's to say they couldn't come up with an electrical version
3: these Colin Chapman designs just seem to last pretty much forever. I mean, the the, the Caterham comes from the, the 6 and the 7, and, you know, so they were some of the earliest of, of Colin Chapman's designs from the, what, late 50s? Mm-hmm. And they just go on and on and on, and the lease, I think, is is the same. And when he was alive, he did hand down the rights to some vehicles, because... Uh, I interviewed a guy some years ago who's uh, down near Littlehampton, not a million miles from where you are, James, mm. who has the rights to the Lotus Elite and is still, as far as I'm aware, in the business of rebuilding uh, Lotus Elites very successfully.
1: It's a testament to the man's design and vision, is it? And like I say, with Westfields and Lotus and whatever else, that, that Caterham, uh, if, if you take the body off, none of them ever look quite right bodywork-wise. It's, it's like they've, you know, somebody's described. A, a catron seven over the phone to somebody and and they've sketched it and then faxed it to somebody else who's then 3d printed it and it's not quite worked out right but in uh, in terms of sort of base chassis and and setup and design around what you bolt the bodywork to they they haven't really changed as you say since the 50s or 60s and there's there's probably a very good reason for that in that it's fairly tricky to improve on it and the the same with Lotus really I mean that between the S1 and the S2 at least yes there were there were dimension differences or tweaks or you know the damper specifications change they went from K-series to Toyota engines and then stuck superchargers and more aero on them or whatever else but in in essence the the seat, you know, steering wheel, pedals and and basic chassis setup didn't really change over the the whole lifetime of the Elise so it's it's one of those cars that's um that's almost too good to fade away you know it would have been a crying shame if the Caterham 7 died when the Lotus 7 project ended and uh and I think the same with the Elise you know there's, the Elise is as you say probably one of the, the best handling cars of all time certainly one of the best mid-engined rear drive handling cars of all time and that's 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 too good to throw away so yeah, f- fingers crossed Caterham do pick it up and if you had a, a Caterham Elise because they, you know, Lotus 7 to Caterham 7 would well, they keep the name? Hopefully so it, it would be good to see that carrying on
3: The One that sort of surprises me is, is the Lotus a which I'm not aware that anybody has done a sort of repro version of that Kia, I, I think that's one Kia of his did. best designs of all
0: Did they?
2: Yeah, Kia. Sorry, no, not that. The the series two Elan, the the nineties, the late eighties, early nineties one. The
1: Suzu powered one. That's it. Yeah. My Suzu engine car, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Regarded best handling front wheel drive sports car of its era, still regarded by pretty much anyone who ever drove it. Never mm, got I a did. chance myself, sadly. But um, that was eventually, I think, taken on by Kia, as part of. Um, a deal because i think weren't lotus part of gm and international motors and various bits so it got passed on through the chain to kia who i think had something to do with it at the time and um yeah they made a fairly passable attempt at updating it but i don't think they ever sold them certainly didn't sell them in this country as far as no i know.
3: I, I, I can remember driving it It was a it was an excellent uh... Drive. I had one for it was a very very strange thing that I was approached at Goodwood by the Lotus dealer that was going to be selling them and was told uh well look uh it's got to go back in the truck in the morning direct a Lotus it's a prototype but you can have it overnight if you want it and uh when I'd finished saying no 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 I can't be bothered um it was it was a fabulous drive but going back to my earlier point I still prefer the the earlier cars I think they just look so so brilliant, and with the with the fifteen fifty eight engine, they go like stink. Very very enjoyable car to drive.
2: Well, it's not a direct derivative, but it's certainly inspired by the Mazda MX five, the original version of that. That was a almost a, yeah. a direct lift, wasn't it, of the the Elan. Um, updated for modern era, obviously, but still very light, very pretty. Engine in the front, drive to the back, soft top, away you go. And um, I think they managed to the capture the essence of the car very well.
3: Brilliant design, I, I, I just didn't think that the air brakes were a terribly good idea, but then I suppose occasionally you had to put the lights on.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of these cars though, aren't there? Like the MX-5, I suppose like the uh, Barchetta, like the Four Puma, where people criticise them because, oh, they're too girly, or they're, oh, you know, they're a hairdresser's car, or something. These are idiots that haven't usually driven them. You drive Quite these cars so. and they are superb cars to drive. Really, really very good.
1: My mother-in-law used to have uh, an MX-5 and that was uh, unfortunately ill health later up and uh, meant that she couldn't drive it for a good period of time. So we, we stored it at work, didn't we? And every now and again I'd, I'd take it out mm. for a run just to clean up the brakes and, and keep everything in uh, in general working order. And, and it was always a pleasure. It was just, a, you know, it was the car... Uh, to be honest, similarly to, to coming back from Caterham in in your Mini, we were driving back, and you'd uh, very kindly let me have a go in it. And I thought, sod it, we'll take the long way home. And whenever I go for a drive mm. in the mother-in-law's Mazda, yeah, I'll go the long way home tonight. And that's, I think, that's the key. When a car, when you look at it and say, I'll take the long way home tonight, that's that that means the car's succeeded at being a car. You know, forget boot space or technology or, oh look, it can park itself or do this, that, the other. It's uh, If you just want to drive it that little bit more, then, uh, then it's succeeded at being a car.
2: Well, I think mm. that's that Lotus's ethos. Yes,
3: the MX-5's been around for quite a long time now. And I think it's just, it's invo- evolved uh, better and better with each uh, iteration. I think it's still a very enjoyable car to drive. I think it looks even better now. Uh, with the ones over the last two or three years than ever did. Mm. See, I'd
0: have an original one. I'd go right the way back to whenever it was they came out. Was it yeah, E-Reg, so was F-Reg, I. something a- like that? Like a- long...
2: 1989. 1989.
1: So G-Reg. G- as long as it's got pop-up headlights, then, uh, then I'm sold. I'm in with that. Again, yep. yes. a bit like the Alan.
0: <laughs> the pop-up headlights make that car. Yes, incidentally, if you happen to be listening to the podcast not long after we've recorded it, there's one on eBay now, a Kia Elan, uh, for £12,000. Uh, with its pop up headlamps, uh, not bad, I reckon. 42,000 miles on the clock, bit of a rare beast. It's got to be a collector's item, isn't it?
2: For a Kira Lan or a Lotus Lan? Kira Lan. I would think they're very rare. A Kira Lan? Was it? Mm. Is it. No, I'm going to have to look, have a look at this. There's um, talking Ooh. of things talking of things on auction that are fetching silly money. Not that that's silly money, if it's that rare. You'll know that we're no strangers around here to bring a trailer, the, uh, the American yes. sort of uh, auction site. And as we've spoken about, or I've spoken about ad nauseum in the past, a lot of cars from over here are now ending up over there, the other side of the pond, because of the 25-year rule. And uh, now Americans can get their hands on all the things we've been enjoying for the last quarter of a century, in that they've been denied. And the big thing for Americans still at the minute are uh, proper Land Rover Defenders, and they are disappearing Mm. from Europe at a rate of knots. And I have in front of me one that finished about half an hour ago at an auction, a 1988 Land Rover 90, two and a half, turbo diesel, so that's the 200 TDI, five-speed, the one that everyone knows and loves, about 127,000 miles. How much do you think that fetched in American dollars? Silly
0: money. Ten. $10,000 ten thousand dollars. Try fifty seven.
2: Fifty
1: seven thousand dollars.
2: American dollars. Not hard dollars. No, no, no. American <laughs> dollars. Admittedly it's been it's been gone over. Whoever's whoever's imported it or whoever had it in Italy before it ended up in the States has um, done a nice job. They've put a soft top on it instead of the hard top and they've given it the LED headlights. But it generally looks and ba- and looks to me very much like a, a standard Land Rover 90 from 1988. Fifty-seven thousand dollars. What's that? About forty grand, forty-five thousand pounds. Yeah,
1: Stupid. about that. D- about depends what day of the week like. it is. It's, it's anywhere between a million pounds
2: and 38p, well, isn't it? But well, yeah. it depends <laughs> how, how how much Brexit's having an effect. But yes, that is regardless. It's daft money. So two hundred seven thousand kilometers, hundred and twenty-nine thousand miles. And that's British miles, not American miles, so they're proper ones. <laughs> <laughs> it all weathers. But yeah, I'll, I'll put a link up. It'll, it'll be on there forever. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll share the link later and you can all gaze in awe at the madness that is. As sure. you know,
3: I live, I live out in the country and when you talk about uh, uh, Land Rovers disappearing at a rate of knots, yes, they do round here, unfortunately. Too many of them get nicked.
0: Mm. Well, it's because you can strip them down with a basic toolkit in about five and a half minutes.
3: Yeah, well, my next door neighbour, like several of uh, locally, now I've got the. Uh, it's a rather old-fashioned device, but it's the one that locks the steering wheel to the gear shift. Or some have got the one that locks the brake pedal on. It just stops mechanically. It's just any chance of driving the vehicle away
0: quickly. You say that, and and yes, I, I'm sure that's probably the case. I guess if you could uplift, it if you wanted to. But I've been seeing a spate of Golf R's being disassembled, because presumably people have got um, normal cooking spec Golf's, and they just go up and take the front bumpers, back bumpers, everything off of it, strip it down in situ. There's one that was done in Tesco's. How does nobody notice this happening?
1: A friend of ours had. well, like I say, it always depends. If uh, if you pull up with a, a white transit van with budget and Scarpa autos on the side of it, and you've got a high-vis jacket on it, and you look like and you're doing that. some mechanical work on the car, or... You know, if it's near a petrol station, just put a, uh, a hose pipe into the fuel tank and look like you're draining the fuel tank or something like that. You know, it's that nobody will question it as long as you fit um, fit what you're doing to a scenario that people all believe. Then, uh, then it's possible.
0: Mm, I guess so. I'm just going to scoot back to Caterham just for a second because there was something I didn't realise, and you forgive my ignorance here, if you guys this was common knowledge, if you guys already know, but I didn't realise that Alpine and Caterham were in partnership with each other in terms of technical Yeah, we,
1: we, we only worked that out on uh, on Sunday, didn't we? Because we you looked yes. at that clay model and said, well, it looks kind of like an Alpine, and then the word said, developed in conjunction with Alpine. Oh,
0: OK. It does. It looked like a, a cross between the Puma, which is why it popped into my head, is in the old Puma, not the SUV jobby, and an Alpine A110, didn't it? It had that sort of swoopy, swoopy, coupe body to it great looking thing sadly never happened
3: very pretty very desirable car the A110
0: mm, oh, uh, it's a yes.
3: really really nice looking car worth an awful lot of money these days
0: the only the only brand new car that I, I can honestly say that I'm really lust after is an Alpine A110 I think it's such such a beautiful car we saw one when they first came out didn't we or well, not long after they came out at Geneva uh, as we rounded the corner onto the Alpine stand and there it was, the the A one ten, and I think sometimes you see something instantly fall in love with it. And I climbed inside, and it, although there's all Renault bits, and I've said this many times before, and you know that I wax lyrical about this car. I fell instantly in love with it. And I, it's such a, a lovely thing. The proportions are are beautiful in my eyes. The original I thought was beautiful as well, but this this is such a nice. And it, bearing in mind they're the same price as a Boxster, I think I'd rather have this in a Boxster. But anyway, it's got far more character than a Boxster. Yeah, I would agree. But nevertheless, I think a Lotus, Elise, Caterham, whatever they decide to do with it, if they do something with it, it can only be a good thing. It really can only be a good thing. One
2: other thing to consider is the fact that the uh, the man who is now the head of uh, Lotus, Matt Windle, the uh, managing director of Lotus, used to be very high up at Caterham. So, you know, there could be legs to this one.
0: Mm, there's definitely going to be a dinner and a few drinks somewhere, isn't there? Absolutely.
2: Go on. You can have it for a fiver then. Just don't put our name on it
0: a couple of weeks have gone by since I felt the need to go and buy a car and of course I've been window shopping and in fact I did buy a car I bought another Focus to replace my older Focus which is just a slightly newer one but slightly less exciting but nevertheless something I have been looking at which is a bit more exciting was a Bentley Turbo R now this is local to me it's only around the corner it was rather it is in a, a really nice shade of metallic blue and with a, a cream leather and fabric upholstery, and it's seven grand. That's a hell of a lot of car, isn't it? For seven thousand pounds. Has it lived its life at the seaside? Well, that's that's a question. It certainly lived some of its life down here, but it's Uh-oh. the kind of car you don't keep on the driveway, isn't it? But at the top, the shiny bit of it looks pretty good. Admittedly, I hadn't seen underneath. I, I wonder if it's one of these. <laughs> yeah, you know when you see one of those cars and you think. Is this going to be described as a rolling project?
2: (coughs) Run some drives, what more do you want?
0: Yep will certainly make it to the next mot there's that little disclaimer at the bottom of uh
1: of every advert that seems to pop up on youtube at the moment about investing your money in uh, in various things and it says you know the value of your investment can go down as well as up and you may lose your entire investment but with with something like a seven thousand pound Bentley <laughs> it's you know you may lose your entire investment and everything else you own and your sanity <laughs> and your wife i like just seven thousand pound for a Bentley is, is that a good idea i'm not
3: sure i think it's something you could sensibly buy and then move on
1: immediately well just yeah, run away from it as fast as you can just sell it well,
3: they're, they're just not going to get any cheaper because they're becoming uh collectible again you're seeing and turn up in auctions at rather more money than that i'd buy at seven and sell at nine and a half and feel that i'd uh got a
1: deal I think probably the last 20 owners thought the same. I think we've got a plan for that then. should we buy that at seven? And we've already got a firm offer from Graham for nine and a half. So we could, uh, we could turn a quick buck on that, couldn't we? <laughs> it's
0: it's got to be worth it. I mean, worst case scenario, there are two outs to this, aren't there? The first of which is you could probably use it as a garden room or something because it's huge. Uh, it would take up most of the garden, I suspect. But... It looks comfortable enough. You could sit out there, and it would be be nice in the sunshine until you you, you slowly bait. And if it did go catastrophically wrong, it weighs about seven hundred tons. So what is the scrap for seven hundred tons? You're going to make your money back instantly, aren't you? But is
1: is is it all stuff that you can weigh in for scrap, or is it is it? you know other materials and uh, and minerals and compositions that have gone into it because we uh, we all had a good chuckle at the bentley fragrance didn't we the the description of that and the one thing that got me before we get onto the woody notes of urban adventurers something or other was the was the description of the bottle that it featured a stone inlay just like the actual car and you think why are you putting stone in a car <laughs> dashboard? Sure. Okay, what's the heaviest material known to man? Well, it's, it's going to be stone. It's going to be, yeah, these rocks are chuffing heavy. Let's grind a few of those down and, uh, and chuck those into the dashboard it's mystifying that they have used that for a dashboard i mean again i'm sure it looks very pretty but it's the uh it's it's completely unnecessary weight isn't it surely
2: well it's not going to be doing much for your center of gravity or center of mass is it
0: either i'm not entirely sure that a bentley could ever be described as necessary i think it's probably the very most unnecessary car isn't it
3: it is a lifestyle
0: choice isn't it so what's the fragrance smell of?
2: Does it just smell of First Division footballer? Because that's pretty much the only people that buy them these days. Well, they said, so,
1: flicking if, if through the press release, it was it was generally speaking wood. And then they delved into various other descriptions of various other scents, but pretty much just came back to
0: wood. I'll wait till the clone turns up in Poundland, which won't be very long, I don't <laughs> suppose. I think that there's going to be an element to the smell of, you know when you open the understairs cupboard at your granddad's house and he's got all the tweed jackets <laughs> hanging up? and maybe a wax coat. That is what it's going to smell of. Nostalgia. It'll smell of money. Mm. Newly minted
2: money. With with a dash of Cheshire drug dealer. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly, yes. Please keep sending us cars, Bentley.
3: (laughs) (laughs) One of our most popular archive road tests is a is a Mazda van. And the only reason I ever road tested a Mazda van was because I had the option at uh, zero cost of three marble fireplaces. <laughs> so you can get three marble fireplaces in a Mazda van. And I proceeded with a disc cutter to cut them all into size and shape that fitted our rather large dining room we had then. So I made three. It must have been one. a big dining
0: room if you could fit three
3: fireplaces in it, Graham. No, no three three cut into one.
0: So I had to oh, cut nice.
3: every piece individually. Yeah, it looked very nice at the end. But.
0: So out of all of us, I think Graham most likely to buy the Bentley Turbo R. <laughs> possibly to cart around some of his uh, giant fireplaces. Or possibly to fit a fireplace in. Who knows? Or maybe to cut up to make into a fireplace. But certainly if he does that, we will bring that to you by the medium of uh, a video or something. Whilst we can see our, our cut up Bentley fireplace with all of its marble and stone inlays. I tell it you, you buy it
3: and I'll re- I'll recycle it into something interesting like they do on these TV programs where they get somebody who decides to paint all their furniture strip all their furniture paint all their furniture again, strip it all and so on, and so on.
1: If Graham does end up with a Bentley, then the uh, the driveway fixes would certainly get a lot more uh, entertaining, <laughs> wouldn't they? It would just be Graham setting five to £50 pound notes and throwing them out of the window.
0: They'd get a Graham, lot more sweary, I should imagine. Or possibly just two legs sticking up in the air as disappears into the engine bay. Oh, that's it,
3: it might be an interesting car to work on, you never know.
2: Where the f*** is it coming from now? It's dripping from under... <laughs> i am just replacing the spheres for f- Next week, with a can of petrol, an angle grinder, a map, and a letter owner. to the insurance company. Graham. Next week on
1: driveway fixes, Graham is selling his driveway and the house attached to it to buy some parts.
3: No, 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 no. I couldn't afford to let the driveway go. There's too much oil soaked into it.
2: <laughs> you could put a drilling rig on the thing. Already down one kidney... <laughs> 12 litres
0: of oil in the top yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: the green stuff isn't it they're, they're always, it's, it's like a, a rat's nest underneath because it uses the citron self levelling system doesn't it with the green spheres certainly at the back I don't know if it has them at the front but um, whenever you see people that have bought them and doing them up on YouTube they are just bemoaning the stuff underneath and going, as soon as I possibly can, this thing's getting coil springs fit into it. And that's <laughs> all going. And I'm going to have proper normal brakes because everything is powered by the hydraulics. And it's um, a great idea in principle. But yeah.
1: A friend of mine had a uh, Mercedes. Uh, he, was, he was looking around for an interesting but quite thirsty. Slightly ridiculously opulent, but I don't do much mileage, so fuel economy doesn't matter car. So he went out and bought the cheapest Mercedes S500 L in the country that he could find. <laughs> went to a garage in East London to go and buy it. You know, brand new MOT, MOT the day before, and he, he drove it the the, 50, the, 5, and the 60 day. miles home, something like that, you know, with the, uh, with the rear tyres, with the cords exposed, not just slicks, cords exposed. So that's oh, uh, oh, how good the MOT was. And when uh, it, it generally ran all right, to be fair, with um, a few things and uh, the old catalytic converter and the odd two thousand pound bill on it, until uh, <laughs> the suspension gave up and it, you know all the uh, the hydraulics had started leaking. But it's like, well, there's there's so much hydraulic fluid everywhere, we we can't tell which pipe is leaking. And it's one of those, well, if you replace one pipe that's leaking, chances are it'll start leaking out the next pipe and the next pipe and the next pipe. And it's like, well, how, how many pipes are there? It's like, well, there's 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 about twenty eight sections of pipe and 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 they're 179 pounds each plus that plus fitting uh yeah but we, we don't know which one of the 15 pipes in this area is leaking but don't worry about the 45 other sections which are further around the back later it's like uh i think that's probably game over isn't it so he, he parked it up out of the front of this house and it slowly but surely settled down to the point where the chassis was touching the floor and uh and there it sat for a couple of years until um until it got carted off on the back of a low loader but yeah that uh, that ruined that car. that that meant he had to throw it away
3: i think the golden rule with any project is if you can't do most of the work on it yourself you can't afford it as soon as you've got to pay somebody else to come and fix it it's just a, it's a no lost no cause
2: yeah.
1: Like you say, with the, with the hydraulic suspension, it would have been far easier to bite the bullet or, you know, budget for that when he was buying the car to so, say, yeah, I'm going to swap it to, to coil overs or proper springs and dampers and, and chop that out and chuck a couple of grand at sorting the suspension now, but leaving it with a, a, re, a relatively mechanical and uh, an infinitely more reliable setup. I mean, all the big Mercs are just fabulous to drive.
3: You know if I had unlimited money perhaps I'd consider one but having driven most of them over the years um, the, the all the S classes are just fabulous long distance drivers.
2: I quite like the idea of a uh, African dictator spec 600 grosser with all the sort yes. of, oh, yes. all the hydraulic yes. controls and the and the, the blacks on the front. Was... Yeah, exactly, and sort of cow catchers and machine guns in the wings, that sort of thing. Out of my way, paupers! <laughs> I, I quite like the idea of that. I mean, was it Top Gear? They they had one, didn't they? And I think Rowan Atkinson used to own one. Jerry
0: Clarkson yeah, owned, yeah, or, owns a grocer.
2: Yeah, he has an incredible got one, horn.
0: They? Yes. Yeah, the greengrocer.
2: The the town and country horn, isn't it? So you can startle people close by or startle cows half a mile away. <laughs> or protesters, I think they call them, that's the other thing. <laughs> well, we'll alert- glue
1: themselves to the front of buildings.
2: That's it. Will alert Greta Thunberg to your presence from half a mile.
0: At my dad's work, they had some protesters that had uh, locked themselves to the gates to stop everyone from leaving. So when it got to the end of the shift, they all went outside, engineers as they are. And just unbolted the next gate section along. And they all drove out through that instead. They're most upset.
2: Well, it's like the equivalent of when the um, the French thought they got the measure of the Germans in the beginning of World War II and the Maginot line and everything. Oh, I know, it's perfectly all right. This right. We've been building this for years. There's no way the Germans can get through this. They just went round it. And that was it. <laughs>
3: Electric vehicles are are becoming uh, more and more popular and electric supercars are becoming more and more popular. One of the craziest of all, I think, uh, turned up in my inbox today, which is a Croatian uh, Croatian creation. That would be an interesting one. (laughs) By a company called Rimac, which Mm. has 1,885 brake horsepower. It's entirely electrical. The battery is apparently like uh, in a Formula One car, it's the stressed member, and everything's hung from it. This is something that does 246 miles an hour. Yes, it's been tested. It does uh, 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds. It does 0 to 200 in 9 seconds, and has a range of 340 miles. I don't think necessarily all at the same time. No price tag <laughs> as yet, but um, they are going to produce it in a reasonable volumes, I understand, but it's just Jesus. One thousand eight hundred and eighty-five brake horsepower. Keep it away from Richard Hammond. Yes.
1: I mean, I'll be guessing yeah. in terms of price tag. This this is not Rimax car for the masses, is it? This is not <laughs> uh, the Tesla aim of making a car for twenty five thousand dollars or whatever. It no, means,
3: I is think it, not. This this is this is nearer the Rolls Royce uh, boat tail marketplace. The twenty million Rolls Royce that uh, featured in all the news broadcasts just
2: recently. 1,888 horsepower, what the hell, how? I'm, I'm at a loss as to how they're going to put that down, I mean, the laws of physics start to apply at some point, even to electric cars, Gently. surely. Gentle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a yeah. gentle throttle, I mean, there's no way that that's not going to have some form of traction control, really, is there? Uh, we'd have to have,
3: or you'd, 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 be, you'd have to drive it barefoot. <laughs> you know, you you wouldn't dare wear shoes, no, because you'd be, you'd be you'd be into the scenery instantly.
1: Well, I don't know. There's there's that that famous quote from uh, from Enzo Ferrari, and I think as much as he was a visionary with uh, with car design and engines and uh, and design and everything like that, you know, his his everlasting quote for me was that uh, you know I, I don't couldn't care less about aerodynamics or panel gaps or anything like that. When the driver steps on the gas, I want him to sh his pants. And that, surely that <laughs> is that with a, with a Rimac With 1,800 horsepower, you would sh- your pants when you stepped on it, wouldn't you? And that's, that's the idea. That's, that's almost what EVs have got to be like to get people into them for now, hasn't it? They don't have that noise, that emotion, that pop, pop, bang, bang, that, oh, I can hear things happening. It's, it's got to have that, that physical sensation as well as the uh, noise sensation.
0: I think it'd be so hard to
3: drive it slowly. Trying to park that in a Sainsbury's car park, it'd be like you were driving a pinball
1: machine. <laughs> we could drive it quickly.
2: <laughs> I mean in seriousness, I mean this is a digital car now, isn't it? I mean everything is is digital from you Pressing your foot on the throttle to the motors doing what you tell it—it's zeros yeah. and ones—and do this. You can almost certainly, I would suggest, they there will be like a dial where you can turn down the sensitivity to Sainsbury's level or Autostrada. So as long as you don't confuse the two, you should be all right. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you're going to be sort of somewhere towards the bakery section of Sainsbury's before your foot's even gone halfway down on the pedal.
0: I love the idea of the ASDA Autostrada. Close. <laughs>
3: Well, didn't I see the Tesla S? I think has a crazy button or some, ludicrous some button. mode, ludicrous button. That's yep. it. Yeah,
0: yeah, great fun. But it has to warm itself up first. It can't do ludicrous mode all the time. Uh, but it, it is insanely fast. And this is the thing with anything that's electric that has a bit of power. It's very easy if, if you go from driving a, a normal engine powered car combustion powered car to drive something electric and don't pay attention you pull out of the junction and you're instantly doing 40 miles an hour before you've looked so yeah. when you drive something that does 1.9 seconds to 60 and whatever it was five seconds to 100 without yeah. the, the ver- you, you know you're going quickly but you don't you just don't know how quickly without the sound it's it's almost like you're you're a bit insulated your um, points of reference have gone haven't they really? they have Definitely. Yeah, I did so. say that to quite
1: our so. uh, our at work because he's. Uh, I mean, his attention to detail when it comes to cleaning cars uh, extends to after he's cleaned the car. You know, after he's washed the car off, he, uh, he accelerates in the car park reasonably briskly and then stands on the brakes and goes forwards and backwards a few times just to uh, dry the discs and pads off so that the first time whoever gets in it afterwards hits the brakes it hasn't got that lovely coating of rust that then goes all over the nice clean wheels that he spent a few hours polishing Mm -hmm. and uh, and I did say to him oh, when, when, Mm -hmm. when you do that in the Mackie Go steady. It's like, oh, does it, does it pick up? It's like, yes, in a car park, if you accelerate briskly, you, you'll be the other side of the petrol station before you realise it. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just gentle throttle before you set off.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen Liam and Pat Doran in their RS200, and they had a Fiesta, and those were able to achieve a theoretical 1.9 second 0-60 time with an engine. But I watched him down the Brighton speed trials, and he just da 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 launch, da 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 change through the gears. B- it was a sequential box. It was just—it was ridiculous. Of course, you don't have to do that with an electric car. So the, the limiting factor of his acceleration was how fast he could bang the gears through.
3: Yeah, yeah. Most most dragsters only have a two-speed gearbox for that sort of very yeah. reason. You you only yeah. got time to hit it once.
0: Yeah, that's it. And he was just you know one gear bang, I suppose. The limiting factor is
2: going to be also, I suppose, a physiological one. There's only so much of having your internal organs rearranged, which they are, every Hmm. time you slam your foot on the throttle and then suddenly realise you're going to have to slow down pretty quick again and then they do the reverse... You know, how how long is it going to be before somebody makes something so vicious that it starts sort of severing your aortas and various bits of unpleasantness within you? Well, I that can't... was always
0: the concern about the trains, wasn't it? I remember Vic- reading an article in Victorian Times of saying if you managed to get to thirty miles an hour, it would rip you apart. You crazy fool. <laughs> Maniac. But it's more to the point, it's just unpleasant. I think if you're driving something that's yeah. that, that quick, and if you've ever ever driven a car that's been mapped to have a really sharp throttle response, it's not a nice drive in traffic. Or if you've driven something with a, a paddle clutch where it's on or off, equally just not very nice. Because you, you have to leave a gap and then you end up lurching forward at some pace and try not to lurch into the car in front of you.
2: Or if you've ever owned a 1.9 um, Peugeot 205 GTI where the throttle butterfly <laughs> sensor switch is not working properly and you kangaroo through uh, traffic until you can find a new one from your Peugeot dealer. I can tell you that's not a lot of fun either. It's much the same experience. It certainly gives you a headache.
0: Oh, I've, I've just thought, Graham, have we spoken about your sickly Peugeot? I'm not sure that we have. Uh, no continuing um, there's story There's a girl honest. that likes to be choked. <laughs> Or not, as the case may be. Or not joked, as the case may be.
3: No, it's still uh, problematic. I've got more fittings arrived. There's not a sensor left on it, hardly, no. That hasn't been switched. It's an ongoing problem which uh, the garage can't solve, uh, the Peugeot
0: dealer can't solve, and I can't solve. I thought there was a very analogue answer to your problem. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you find something buried in her box? I found uh, under the um, under the air cleaner, there's
3: another sort of plenum chamber, and I found a, a large piece of rag in there, about the size of a small hand towel, which had just been casually left in there. That didn't help, so pulling that out did improve the flow, but no, I still can't get the idle to stay constant. And because I can't get the idle to stay constant, because it drops to about four to three hundred to four hundred RPM, which is way below what it should be. And when it does that, it then flashes up an anti-pollution fault and then goes into sort of sleep mode. It's, uh, it's a pain in the... I'm not going to give up. It,
0: it might just be worth just popping on eBay and buying another one.
3: What, another one of those? Absolutely not. A donor not. car.
0: Just swap all the bits over from the other one that you know that's good and just swap <laughs> the whole thing over. Maybe... I don't know that there are
3: any bits that are good on it.
2: Little no fact, you know the word Vallejo is French for Lucas. Wow,
0: I didn't know that. No, it's it's a joke. The Prince of
2: Darkness, Joe Lucas. Ask anyone who's ever owned a British Leyland car, they'll know exactly who (laughs) Joe Lucas was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think probably the best thing to do, as a second idea, pop onto eBay and... Buy another one, but just instead of typing in Peugeot, type in Honda or Toyota or something, and buy one of those. And don't swap the bits; just drive that one instead. <laughs> buy something infinitely more reliable.
3: Well, Toyota was certainly—we had a Toyota some years ago that was incredibly reliable, and probably still going.
1: I was going to say, go, just go out and buy it back because it's probably <laughs> <laughs> still, <laughs> just still be there. <laughs> Actually, I,
3: I couldn't afford to buy it back. It was a very nice uh, uh, GTI sixteen Corolla. We had it for three years. The only thing we changed in it was the light bulb, one light bulb. Incredibly reliable. I had another one as a company car some years late. Incredibly reliable. And I notice in today's news that uh, Toyota are to be the first car company to offer a 10-year warranty. It's madness, isn't it? Not not across the range. Not entirely. Not yet. But they obviously think that uh, it's a viable marketing ploy, and they'll stand by it
1: that reminds me of the uh, going back to what we discussed earlier in the podcast with uh, with lotus and their move to toyota engines all the uh, the lotus chaps had disappeared over to japan to meet toyota so they they gave the task of looking you know toyota gave the task of looking after the lotus chaps to uh, to the head of warranty for toyota the world and uh, and he'd been taking these lotus chaps around the factory, and then off on a jolly, and then doing this, that, the other, and out for dinner and sightseeing, and this, that, the other, and they—they've got about sort of I don't know two weeks into their visit. And they sort of said, oh, where, "Where's your office? We haven't seen you go to the office or sort of take a phone call or you know do any actual work in in the last couple of weeks." What you know? What you, you must have stuff to catch up on. We don't want to keep you. And he's like, "No, I've I've had one email in the last two weeks about." Something that's broken on a Toyota somewhere in the world. But I think that's that's pretty much it. And that, that was pilot error because they didn't put any oil in it. And, uh, you know, the, the Toyota reliability is is just fantastic. It is incredible. The, uh, it is. the, uh, the engine they put in the Elise and the Exige, I, I think they said they hadn't had a single failure at the time I worked there in the world that wasn't related to either running it out of oil or over-revving it or, you know as I say, accidentally grabbing second instead of fourth when you're changing down or leaving an oil filter off or something like that. Not a single mechanical failure on that engine. So I can, I can well and truly believe Toyota would go with a 10-year with a warranty without a doubt.
0: So what Toyota are going to do is when you take your vehicle in for a service... Each time you have it serviced with Toyota, as I understand, they're going to give you another year's warranty. So like some manufacturers give you a year's breakdown cover, they give you a year's <laughs> warranty, which is exceptional. That's definitely a reason to stay servicing your vehicle at a main dealer. And, and you're right, I know that the reliability of Toyota is famed, obviously, but it's genuinely pretty exceptional. As I understand, as I've heard from the inside, the only real problem they have is with a, an engine they've taken from BMW. So figure that yeah, one that, out.
1: That that sounds about right. But I love that approach to it. Is whereas other manufacturers say, "Look, bring it back to us for a service. If it goes wrong, we'll get it back here so we can fix it." How's that? Whereas Toyota to say, "Bring it back here for a service. If it goes wrong, we will pay to fix it." I think that's the uh, mm. the contrast in it. But I think looking at my yeah. uh, my wife's. Uh, Corolla which is uh, what's that, that's a W so 22 years old I, I think if I took that back and, and went through for a warranty claim when we first bought it, I think the, the tiny little bit of plastic that sits at the back of the uh, the left to right mirror adjustment and uh, goes in and out on a plastic thread is just about the only thing I'd, I think I'd have put a warranty claim in it for to be fair and that's, that's probably because it had been knocked off at some point, it's so a wonderfully reliable car, it just works and everything on it works and that's it's not you know when you get to uh to slightly older cars i think you said with your uh, your focus gates, the uh, oh the, the heated windscreen still works well half of it works the important side the driver's side still works <laughs> it and does it's, uh, whereas the the corolla everything that's on it still works that's it there's there's not a single part of it that doesn't function as it should
2: the only things we had to replace on our on our yaris which a 2000 yaris which we had for many years it got to over 120,000 miles before we moved it on was a new radiator because a stone went through it and a new exhaust because it yeah. just went you know cuz exhausts go and that was it it was it just yeah. ran like a little sewing machine and it was a fantastic little car i miss mm. it it was great the, the original Yaris had real character. You know that tunnel where you look down to see the um, yes the in the center the, the spaceship style dials that sort of floated in midair. It was like ha- like having a Lexus for a tenth of the price. Very <laughs> very impressive little car and um, yeah, great fun to drive too. And it was incredibly reliable.
0: I was always a bit sad that the GR didn't have. Was it the GR back then, or It was called something else? Wasn't it the what the the sporty one? It had oh, analog the T- dials. T
2: T Spirit. Something yeah,
0: T Sport. My granddad had a had a Yaris, and it was a great little car because they they built them in Japan, or I'm not sure exactly where they built them. But then they built them in France, didn't they, for a little while after? And yeah. They weren't quite so good, but the yeah the the, the dials was a real standout feature, and I, I think the thing is with Toyotas, they tend to be of certainly of that era, very plastic, fantastic, and probably not really that exciting. But they do just go on forever and ever and ever, and it's like a an old sewing machine.
2: Sewing yeah, machine really. was exactly how I described that thing at the time, yeah. and it's it's a good analogy.
3: Those are the trades you make. You either go for something that's uh, extremely reliable, but perhaps not that interesting as a drive, or you end up with a Peugeot, which is incredibly unreliable, like <laughs> I did, and it'll be the last one I'll ever have. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: In the couple of weeks since we've uh, we've last filled your ears full of automotive delights i think we've had uh, a bit of motorsport slightly mixed bag we've had uh, some of the most traditional races on the uh, on the calendar to one of the the newest type of races i mean the the extreme it was uh, it was certainly better racing than uh, than last time out although it was uh on sandy beaches and there was a lot of sand and some dust less dust than uh, than before i think it's safe to say and there was actually some uh, some wheel to wheel racing and uh, uh, a bit of cars bumping into each other and retiring through that damage, but it was, uh, it was, I mean, the 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 factor and the form factor and the weekend and the uh, the setup still needs tweaking, I think. But it's, uh, I, I thought the extreme was was uh, was quite
2: enjoyable. I saw them planting trees. If they can build a bit of a following, even with less than perfect TV coverage, then they're probably set fair, and there must be something to it.
1: The press are kind of trying to hype up the uh, the Hamilton versus Rosberg. Rivalry, and uh, you know, even even reading the round roundup of the weekend, you know, they sort of said in in echoes of the uh, the world champions Formula One battles, the two teams went head to head, etc. And uh, but it was uh, it was it was a good race and uh, a couple of dropouts and in Jensen Button's team, Jensen Button had taken a, uh, a step aside this weekend and uh, and dropped Kevin Hansen into the car. They uh, they fared quite well, but it was uh, another win for uh, Nico Rosberg's team. So he seemed to uh, seemed to quite enjoy that. But it was quite nice to see actually this time round a couple of different teams and drivers taking the opportunity of the different lines that they were allowed. I think last time out it was oh yeah go go whichever way you want, but as long as you end up between these two gates that. okay, but there pretty much was only one way to go, whereas this time around, actually, there were a few different alternative and and genuinely different places to win and lose time. So where you'd see a driver go in a hell of a lot quicker... And then come out of one little section a bit slower, but would he hold it to the end, or would he use his uh, his boost just to keep up to it, keep the drag up to the line? It was uh, it was it was certainly entertaining racing. You can forgive uh, Extreme E for not quite having the format or the TV coverage sorted, as they are so new. The Monaco Grand Prix, on the other hand, they've they've had plenty of years to get that right. But uh, the the only on track pass that happened, I think we actually cut away to Lance Stroll being. A generally a little bit average and bouncing over a curve, which was uh, a bit disappointing. But for those that uh, that miss the Monaco Grand Prix, if, uh, if you watch the last two and a half minutes of qualifying and the 38 seconds before the start of the race, that tells you all, all you need to know about it.
3: <laughs> tells the entire story.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a great track. I think it's... Uh, it's certainly got a place in Formula One history. I'm I'm really not sure it's got a place as a, as a Grand Prix anymore. I mean, uh, we, we've said it before and I'll say it again. I think it needs to be a, a Goodwood Festival of Speed, time shootout, build up to it over the weekend, retro liveries, uh, just that kind of thing. It, it needs to be a, a festival. It needs to be a Monaco Festival of Formula One. Every year, rather than uh, than a Grand Prix, because it's it's just not suited to it. You you just simply can't overtake there. The cars are just too big, too wide, too fast. But I mean, what what actually got me about the Monaco Grand Prix was this was the the first race they've had there since nineteen hundred and soaking wet that there wasn't a single yellow flag. Not not even a safety car, you know, it's always a, a good bet to have a, a couple of quid on a safety car before a Monaco Grand Prix, because if pretty much anything happens, they need to chuck a safety car out, uh, or at least a virtual safety car. But with Aston Martin's sponsorship of safety cars, then it, it'll it probably be the safety car. But not, not even a single yellow flag. I, I think this time round, dare I say it, the drivers were just too good. Not not a single one of them seemed to make a mistake in uh, in the actual Grand Prix. There were a few thil- thrills and spills in uh, in practice and at the end of qualifying, as uh, as Charles Leclerc found out, much to his uh, his cost, and um, mm. it seems to be a bit of a home race curse for him because that was uh, that was heartbreaking. Just hearing the team radio on the uh, on the installation lap where the the drive shaft had given out, but um, it's uh, yeah, just to, to not have a single driver bid it, or, or even the. The driver of car number nine, Bennett. Nobody to brush or touch a barrier, and or not that ripped a wheel off or off the car or anything. It was, um yeah, are the drivers too good. Do they have too much practice? Is I'm certainly not going to say it's easy threading a a five mm-hmm. metre long two meter wide car through the streets of Monaco. I'd imagine to drive around Monaco in a uh, in a full-size SUV these days would be a bit of a challenge let alone doing it at 200 miles an hour.
3: I'm still in love with with Monaco but I, but I think uh, I'm agreeing with you that uh, probably the the historic Grand Prix which is uh, it was a, three four weeks ago probably shows it off at its best but one of the things I do love About Monaco uh, and I didn't particularly enjoy this race the TV direction was absolutely dire what few bits of action there were the director completely missed but just putting yourself in those low camera angles and threading a, a Formula One car through those streets you really do I think see what those those drivers go through and just how good they are I mean it's just it's just mind-blowing and that's I think why they don't keep uh, uh, those low-level shots for very long because I don't think most of us can just handle that I mean I've the nearest I've got to to Monaco was William's sim uh, years and years and years ago uh, and I managed to crash coming out of the tunnel twice um so i you know i just i just couldn't do it it's just too bloody fast and uh, you know it was the it was the sim that the team was using so uh, the genuine article but uh, you know this it, it's given to very few people to be able to drive that that
2: track quickly well, famously, Senna. I mean, when he did his that lap that we all remember was it '88 or '89? I can't remember. But basically, he said he wasn't driving; God was driving, and mm. uh, he basically aced every single corner, every line. He got perfect. And when you watch it, it's it's on YouTube, and it's probably one of the most chilling pieces of footage, even now. The thing's shaking around all over the place because you know the cameras weren't as stabilised as they are now. And the, mm. but you still, I mean, if anything, that gives you even more of an impression of just what a brutal experience it is and you know even now watching that thing it just gives me goosebumps
3: i, I was just reading this evening uh Jackie Stewart in in uh, kentura's biography talking about when they took the first of the Tyrrell cars that they'd built in secret i think it was the first time they'd run it he took it out in practice and managed to uh, put it on pole uh, and it wasn't till he got back to the pits that he told them he got no rear brakes. <laughs> so he'd driven that new car entirely around that circuit uh, at, at near record speed
2: with only front brakes different breed
1: talking of uh, of Jackie Stewart and um, praising him as we have done before on uh, on his work on safety uh, just to bring the, uh, the mood down slightly on the podcast as uh, it seems to be a, a weekly occurrence at the moment we should take a minute to mark the passing of Max Mosley uh, certainly a divisive figure depending on uh, on which way you looked at him or which side of uh, of the team's association or formula 1 you were on but one thing he did push without a shadow of a doubt was safety and how did he push safety at certain times making himself really really unpopular but I think he he was one of the uh, the main figures that grabbed Formula 1 by the scruff of the neck after mm. that weekend at uh, Imola, where Senna and Ratzenberger passed away and just said no this 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 has to change, it's no good for the sport, it's, it's no good for the TV and it's no good for human life if, uh, if people are tuning in every week and seeing drivers dying, a sad moment that he's passed but he certainly lived his uh, his life to the max as his uh, his name would suggest and uh, but he's left a uh, a legacy if uh, if we remember nothing else in uh, in terms of safety watching the the indie five hundred just watching the tire that fell off graham Rahal's car and uh Connor Daly bounced into that uh, i don't know two hundred and something just under just over two hundred miles an hour and and it bounced off the front of his car and off the halo screen uh i mean i've i've been at racetracks in the past. I was there that weekend uh, at Bransach when Henry Certy sadly lost his life with a tyre hitting him on the head and Justin Wilson, that's how he went. Whereas uh, Connor Daly was able to to stick a few photos of the front of his car and the halo screen on Instagram afterwards and um, and thank the work that had been done. But that was a, a dramatic race and a good race and good to see uh, Helio Castroneves win the race. And, and at the age of, what's he, 46? He's certainly late Mid late forties, isn't he? So it, uh, it shows that experience certainly counts around the uh, the Indianapolis track, as uh, as I think Alonso's found out to his cost over the last couple of years. But uh, no, just uh, a thanks and a raise of the glass to uh, to Max Mosley because there's uh, certainly a few drivers who wouldn't be here if he hadn't done the work that he did over the years.
3: And he he continued that good work, you know, when he was no longer directly involved in Formula One. When he then became head of the FIA. And he steered them very much into the area of road safety and the insistence on improved manufacturer safety and uh, the NCAP tests that everybody's gone through in recent years. He was one of the progenitors of those. He did such a lot uh, in motorsport and road-going cars, road safety. And if he's
0: not remembered for anything else, he should be remembered for that. Yet another advantage of this nice weather is is a busy calendar when it comes to cars. Now at the weekend I went down to retro rides at Goodwood, which was great to be honest. I took my uh, my little toddler along. He's now two, and we wandered through, took a look at the cars on track. He was just peering through the uh, peering through the railings, everything going flying by, uh, and then we went for a wander around the, the sort of the paddock and the collection of cars that were there. What was hilarious though was somehow or another. A, a a new Ferrari had managed to find its way amongst the pack, and he saw it in the road. I thought oh, I was going to go and look at this Ferrari. He walked straight past it and the owner to go and take a look at an American truck and a couple of Mark II Golfs, uh which it must have must have wounded him. Um, but he saw it and went oh! I just went wounded, straight for it. Wounded, critical, hit. wounded, wounded. wounded. But it, it, it does remind you, some of the, the, the cars which are, are dear to me, a lot of them come from the, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s. That sort of era of, of, of boxy, dare I say, hairy chested cars, which were probably not as great to drive as people remember, but still nevertheless quite good fun. But An E30 was perhaps my pick. And this was an E30 M3 with an LS swap. Uh, the guy said it's over 600 brake horsepower, wheel spins in every gear. This thing That's, was that was epic. a touring though, wasn't it? So uh, an ideal family wagon for all occasions. Oh, no, this this one was a, this one was a coupe. There, were, there was a, there was a few interesting ones. It was a touring down there, funny enough, an E36 touring, and on the back they'd put three five seven I. But this thing was was quite beaten. It had a few different shades of silver down the door. And when he launched from, from out of the pit straight onto the circuit, the noise of this thing was incredible. It must have upset a lot of people. I'm all about that sleepers. are just. Oh, yeah, there's something about a sleeper that does it for me. Old Volvos are turbo bricks tuned up and, and running ridiculous power. Stuff with with ladders bolted to the roofs. And I think the problem is that a lot of stuff from the, the 80s now is becoming so rare to see it on the roads that it kind of gives the game away a bit. But, but it really does tickle my pickle, that kind of thing. It's lovely to see stuff that you know is fast. But when you see the, the, the dad spec... Four door, more door, estate type wagons. There was a two CV that was flying round. I never did manage to catch up to the guy to see what was what it was powered by, but I heard it. Lord, what the hell is that? It's just I see it go absolutely barreling along. Um, yeah, really impressive stuff. And and people aren't afraid to use some of these old cars that do require a little bit more attention when you're driving around because you, you just don't have the the aids and assistance that you get from modern stuff.
2: I'm sure, Graham. You may remember there was famously a two CV that a motoring journalist. It may even have been Steve Cropley of Autocar who turbocharged mm-hmm. it, and it went very, very quickly until the point at which it caught fire. I seem <laughs> to remember that would that would have oh. been late 80s, late 80s, early 90s, something like that. If you're listening, Steve, something give like us that. A shout. <laughs> Yeah, let us
3: know. I can remember when they when when they came up with the two CV championship. Uh, oh I yeah. Think for- the first race was at Lyddon, and I was uh, stood at the bottom of Harry Hill. And anybody knows Lyddon, it's, it's very steep down, and a very, very, very tight right-hander. And I just think half the field fell over <laughs> as they attempted to turn the corner. I mean, they were notoriously unstable. Uh, but most of the drivers just opened the door, climbed out, pulled them back up again, and, and carried on their way. It was just great fun.
0: Now what, 12? The early ones are 12 horsepower, the later ones are 22, maybe, if they've got a little bit of uh, tuning to them. They, they aren't a powerful car. It's quite amusing to see them go round, but this thing was absolutely flying. Just was not expecting it at all. I've no idea what he's stuck under there, whether it was a bike engine or what, but, yeah, it really was quick. Just look at the wheels on a
3: standard one. Uh, your, your average wheelbarrow's got wider wheels than, than the 2CV. It reminds me, on mm. a similar
2: power level, do they still do the lawnmower racing down at Whisper Green? Because that was always just, a giggle. That was always great it. fun. Yeah, I don't know whether they're still doing it. It got very yes, professional, though, because you started getting the Formula One teams joining in. I remember there being mm. a, a red and white one, and you can... Draw, draw your guesses mm. as to who that was. And uh, yeah, they all started getting very, very quick and very competitive. So maybe they sort of drew a line there. I don't know. But I would, um, I would quite happily go along and um, see that again. That was. Well, I, that was I know at the point fun. that
3: uh, Mark Duros was uh, doing the PR for them down there. And Mark was very, very good at, at pulling people in. I, and I know, you, you know, the, the, I think McGowan certainly were there one year with an official factory entrant. And uh, Derek Bell drove it several times, and he would just turn up and drive whatever he was offered. You know, mm-hmm. it, was just, it was great fun. I went along a yeah. couple of times. But...
2: Team outing. We should go long.
0: Yeah, so it's great fun. striking distance. Certainly, they were doing 24 hour endurance lawnmower racing not that long ago. Uh, and a friend of mine, her dad, was racing lawnmowers until he came off and bust his collarbone and then retired. Which, which is, is pretty pretty incredible. This 2CV that I've been talking about, I've just had a, a quick goo as you do. Our 1100GS engine from a BMW motorbike is apparently what powers it. Interesting swap. Oh, that'll do. Which is the reason why it's so fast. I, I had a feeling it would have to be a bike engine. I think pretty much anything else would be a bit of a struggle to get in there in the right place. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And... <laughs> There's another, and perhaps the same car. I'm just following through through the history of, of a build thread of this particular one. It looks to be the same car, um, supercharged BMW GS 1200 engine. So it's getting quicker as <laughs> as, we, as it moves on 154 horsepower, which is probably enough. I suspect.
3: I think that would do the job. That combination of car and uh, well, I use the word car
0: and it's sense. Car and motorcycle engine would be fearsome. There's something about a bike engine. I know a few Minis that uh, a few people have done this to Minis. High revving, which makes a bit of a bugger to drive around town, but otherwise makes them shift incredibly quickly. And it's the same with if you've ever seen the little smart cars, the Diablo Smarts that use the Jigsaw engines in the back. Those things are incredibly quick and must be so much fun to drive. But yeah, really, really quite interesting. Uh, but I, I just, I just have to say, I love this, this retro stuff. If you've got a retro project on the go then do uh, write to us I say write to us find us on on the socials. so we're at UK Motor Talk pretty much everywhere you find your socials otherwise find us via YouTube the website write to us if you want to send us an email show us what you're working on because we would be interested to see uh, I know a friend of mine is currently building a um, compound supercharged turbo supercharged uh, onion uh, which should be be an absolute flying machine I'm very much looking forward to seeing that finished and hopefully we'll be able to bring you some more on that when he gets a bit closer to it uh, it's just out of paint so uh, moving along through through his project much faster than i am through mine but hey if you want to see how we are getting on with that incidentally head along to uh, our channel on youtube at uk motor talk of course so on that note it is time to go so from me mike goodbye from me jim goodbye
3: from me graham is goodbye take care from me dave see you next time
0: UK Motor, Talk, a first take media production.